safety concerns driving business away. They don't want to come here because they're scared to come here. So that's why I had to move on to make a living. A Maple Ridge business owner sounding the alarm on crime and disorder in the city. A lot of pushback, a lot of abusive emails. Abuse leveled at a city councillor after he proposes a safe drug consumption site in Richmond. Flames tear through a commercial building in Duncan. It's devastating. Our community is now down another business. A popular shop destroyed, investigators calling the fire suspicious. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. A business owner in Maple Ridge says he's fed up with the disorder on the street outside his front door, comparing conditions to Vancouver's downtown east side. And as Alyssa Tebow reports, rather than keep putting up with the chaos, the owner of Gold Rush Jewelers is pulling up stakes. There's not just one but two security doors at Gold Rush Jewelers in Maple Ridge. And yet, crime, threats and violence are still such an issue, the owner says he has no choice but to close. Every day I just call security, every day. Adnan Polat will be moving locations in June because he can't control people loitering outside. They all come sit in front of the store, they do drugs, and they do drugs inside in the store. Customers are, they keep calling me and says, I just want to come to store, uh, if it's okay, can you help me out from the bag to get in the store? His window has been broken, costing $3,000 to replace. He's seen people defecate and urinate and says asking people to move becomes confrontational. They all threatening you that I'm going to break your window, I'm, I got nothing to lose and that kind of stuff. One security company tells Global News the issues are being felt right across the downtown area. We're trying our best not to have that bad impact on the businesses, but it sometimes gets out of control because there are too many. Asadi says people are often scared to go into stores and her staff frequently encounter people suffering from overdoses. There's also confusion about where drug use is permitted. Whenever we talk to individuals not to do that openly in the public or on someone's private property, the answer is that it's legal. I can do it. What do you want to do? And um, when it gets to that point, Personally, I'm speechless. The city of Maple Ridge has community safety programs, but one councillor says there's only so much the city can do. The main uh, buck, if you will, stops with the province. The decriminalization of 2.5 grams, the open drug use policies, those are the policies that truly need to be addressed. Polat doesn't know where his next location will be. He just wants somewhere safe. Alyssa Tebow, Global News. And drugs also high on the minds of Richmond residents. After City Council voted to explore options for a safe consumption site this week, the councillor behind the motion says he's been the target of abuse from people upset with the decision. Julia Foy has the story. Not only does it save lives, it helps change lives. It changed my life. Guy Felicella is approaching a milestone, 11 years of sobriety after a life racked by drug addiction. He's in support of Richmond City Council's plan to open a safe injection site. Drug use and addiction exists in every community and people need to be supported um, because it builds those connections and relationships that lead to bigger and better things in their lives. And it's about health and wellness. 
you have police officers that are having to respond to people consuming their drugs in public spaces, they now have somewhere to direct these people to. Councillor Cash, he brought the proposal before council as a way to help people get out of addiction. Where you have health practitioners that are there that are not only going to uh, maintain contact with you while you're consuming your drugs, but at the same point developing a relationship and move them into a continuum of care, for example, detox. But the pushback from some members of the public has been fierce. A lot of abusive emails where they're calling me a racist that don't I know Richmond is Chinese. A few of the comments received by council this week include, please explain why you voted for a drug consumption site in Richmond where there were only 26 residents who died due to drug poisonings. And the safe injection site is just a magnet attracting new drug addicts. And finally, I want Richmond to be one of compassion, social and moral integrity and science-based decisions. Council members voted 8 to 1 in favour of opening a safe injection site at the Richmond Hospital. But Chuck Au is against the plan. So we are not talking about prevention uh, in, in this process. We are not talking about treatment in this process. So just by talking about maintenance. Fella Chelly hopes the public can understand that safe injection sites do get people out of addiction. People do find a better path when they're supported, not shamed and not pushed into back alleys or places where um, nobody can get to them. Julia Foy, Global News. Police on Vancouver Island say they've found the vehicle involved in a fatal hit and run. It happened just before 11 Thursday night when Comox Valley RCMP responded to a report of an injured cyclist on the Comox Valley Parkway near Minto Road in Courtney. Emergency crews immediately began treating the victim who died after being transported to hospital. The Vancouver Island Integrated Major Crime Unit is leading the investigation and are continuing to examine the evidence collected so far. Police say there's no risk to the public. A Vancouver City Councillor is appalled by what he calls a paltry punishment for a landlord whose apartment building was destroyed by fire. At least 70 tenants lost their homes as flames ripped through the rental building in Mount Pleasant last July. The building owner, Fu Ren, faced 20 counts of fire bylaw violations, including failure to maintain fire alarms and sprinklers. He pleaded guilty to six counts. The other 14 were stayed. On Friday, he was fined $750 per violation for a total of $4,500 in fines. Councillor Pete Fry says the punishment is not nearly enough. It angers me to think that this guy is getting away with this with a paltry fine. I've got a lot of questions for our staff Monday morning, and I really want to get some answers as to how we can actually exercise our tools and our bylaws to prevent uh, unscrupulous landlords like this from exploiting people uh, in our housing crisis. Ren and his wife Feng Yan also faced charges of violating bylaws after the fire, including failure to immediately board up access points to the burned-out building and not setting up 24-hour security to prevent unauthorized entry. They've pleaded not guilty. Police on Vancouver Island are investigating a fire that destroyed a thrift store in downtown Duncan. Beyond the suspicious circumstances, residents say they've lost a place where they could get affordable clothes and household items. Paul Johnson reports. Firefighters hosing down the wreckage for any hot spots Saturday. 
after the city of Duncan saw one of its biggest structure fires in years destroy a popular business. It's really disconcerting and it looks like it's a total loss, unfortunately. The fire happened shortly before 1 a.m. Saturday in a commercial building that housed a number of businesses on York Street. Dozens of firefighters from multiple stations were deployed to fight the blaze. Occupants from neighboring buildings got out safely, and the early indication is that no one was hurt from the fire. Though Mounties were quick to confirm what some eyewitnesses said, that the cause of the fire appeared to be suspicious. They've launched an investigation. It's devastating, you know. Our community is now down another business. The fire destroyed the good neighbor's thrift store. It appears to be a substantial loss for Duncan area residents who enjoyed its bargains. I thought maybe there had been a car accident or something and the whole building's a loss. It's, it's a terrible loss for the community. There is a, you can furnish your home in there for, you know, a hundred bucks. Fires like this, especially for um, the population of Duncan, it's rough on us because good neighbors had great prices that were relatively cheap. For most of Saturday, police had cordoned off the site as they did their investigation and warned people to avoid the area. Paul Johnson, Global News. Fire crews were also called to a fire at an apartment building in White Rock. Firefighters responded to reports of a residential fire at Merkland Street and Thrift Avenue around 11.30 in the morning. One person who lives in the suite that caught fire was found suffering from burns and was airlifted to VGH. Another person in the neighboring suite was rescued from their balcony. He looked out the window and then saw there was this huge blow, like bunch of smoke and so we ran out. There's a lot of people right now that are just concerned about, you know, getting back in and, and making sure that their home is uh, their home is okay. 30 units in the building are without power and are waiting for an electrician to come and try to restore service. Fire officials say they're working to relocate the other residents. Dark smoke in Burnaby had fire crews acting quickly to douse flames on Kingsway. The flames broke out just before noon near the Highgate Mall. No injuries were reported from the flames. In Victoria, a march to remember murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls in B.C. Indigenous drummers led the way to the B.C. Legislature. This is the 14th annual Stolen Sisters Memorial March. The march comes just one day after the Supreme Court of Canada upheld the government's Indigenous Child Welfare Law, cementing that First Nations, Métis and Inuit peoples have sole authority over the protection of their children. Organizers say today's march is not a protest, but rather a memorial. It's a reminder that we are more than just a stat that for many of us, we do live with the reality that you can be not here in the next day. So with that, we know that truth helps us to live life well, to take care of each other. According to the Assembly of First Nations, Indigenous women make up 16% of all female-related homicides and 11% of missing women despite making up only 5% of Canada's population. Final preparations are underway for tomorrow's big Lunar New Year parade in Vancouver's Chinatown.
Dragons dance on South Granville to ring in the celebration. Businesses in the area hosting their own celebrations in advance of the big parade. Police will have extra officers out Sunday morning with upwards of 100,000 people expected in Chinatown. It's the parade's 50th anniversary and anticipation is building. Today is the first day of the new year. So this year is known to be the year of the dragon. We call it Long. Dozens of people packed the Kelowna Library today, kicking off the new year with food, music and dancing. Lunar New Year is celebrated across the world. It's a holiday filled with culture and traditions that centers around good fortune and prosperity. We are showcasing our Chinese dances and particularly we have the dragon dances and we invited the audience to come and participate. And we also have the drum show and we have the dance performances as well. Lunar New Year celebrations usually last about 15 days, allowing people to take part all month long. After the break, a grueling journey for a noble cause. We check in on a New Zealander trying to run across Canada, raising money for cancer care. And the plea from a central BC town for the province to protect jobs in the struggling forestry sector. An unusual crash early this morning in West Vancouver left a truck straddling a concrete highway divider. It happened around 4 this morning on Highway 1 near Taylor Way. Police say one vehicle pushed another onto the concrete median. A truck can be seen with a mangled front end. And the second vehicle a short distance away also appears to have minor damage. A portion of Highway 33 reopened this morning after a nearly 10-hour long closure following a serious crash. The highway was closed between Perrigan Road and Philpot Road beginning at 1 a.m. RCMP say they received a report of a multi-vehicle crash. Still at the scene this morning, a red truck with significant damage. There's no word yet on any injuries or the cause of the crash. A mayor of a small B.C. community is pleading with the province to take action to protect jobs in B.C.'s forestry industry. Joan Atkinson, the mayor of Mackenzie, says her community has been hit hard by mill closures in recent years. Mackenzie's Canfor Sawmill closed in 2019, followed by the Pulp Mill in 2020. Atkinson says the jobs lost in Mackenzie can be traced back to recent changes in legislation and is calling for reform. I know government has, it seems every week they have a new initiative or a new, you know, let's try this. And and my message to government is stop um, these make work projects to make it appear that you're actually doing something because you're not doing a thing that matters to the people who are dependent on resource communities. Atkinson says at least 400 jobs have been lost in Mackenzie's forestry industry in recent years. The company building the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion has been cited for environmental non-compliance. The citation is related to Trans Mountain's management of recent flooding near Abbotsford. That's where the company's working on the final stages of the pipeline project. Canada's energy regulator says Trans Mountain did not properly isolate water flows near the line, did not properly maintain wildlife fencing, or cover the soil properly. The regulator has ordered Trans Mountain to address the issues and investigate its environmental failings in the area. A New Zealand man is running across Canada to raise money for kids' cancer care. It's actually a lot more uplifting 
for myself than I actually ever expected it would be. John Nabs began his solo cross-country trek last May in Newfoundland. Nabs knows all too well what it's like to lose someone to the disease. His dad died from skin cancer in 2020, then his mom to bowel cancer in 2021. Now he's running across Canada, raising money for kids' cancer care and visiting centres trying to uplift spirits. I want to um, try and just make sure that my or that experience and, and the, my time there is just just fun. It's it's just all about smiles on faces and, and having fun. So um, I suppose to a degree I do um, try and keep that in check. And then, um, but yeah, it's certainly, it can be quite somber. On his journey so far, Nabs has raised $61,000 out of his $100,000 goal. The nonprofit fundraiser will go towards two groups, Childhood Cancer Canada and New Zealand's Child Cancer Care Foundation. In celebration of Black History Month, the panel discussion was held in Kelowna discussing diverse topics. So welcome tonight to Kelowna Museum's event, The Future of Black Histories, Uplifting Black Youth Voices. The panel was held Friday evening. It's a Black History Month discussion called The Future of Black History, Uplifting Black Youth Voices. The event was built around an essay written by Tasia Valencia, a 12th grader in the Lower Mainland. The essay, titled The Okanagan Racist Legacy, How Ignorance and Prejudice Shaped Our Communities, won the Okanagan's Historical Society's Essay Contest, and it highlights the importance celebrating Black History Month. Black voices are important. It's important for IBPOC histories to be made present. Um, you know, if you're not living it, it's hard, you know, you don't know. And so it's important to come out to these events and to listen to people who are living this. Fire Dancer says the Kelowna Museum has a number of programs throughout the month for people to check out. Still ahead, concerns of a possible humanitarian catastrophe in the Israel-Hamas war. Israel's Prime Minister orders civilians out of Rafah ahead of a planned assault on the city, but some say there's nowhere left for people to take cover. And the strange approach to treating long COVID symptoms with nicotine patches. What's the science behind the trend? Palestinians are bracing for an assault by Israel on Rafah, the southernmost zone of the Gaza Strip. More than 1.4 million people have crowded into the area. As David Aiken reports, aid organizations, European leaders and others are warning of a humanitarian catastrophe if the Israel army follows through on orders. This car was destroyed and its three occupants killed after Israeli military strikes overnight in Rafah, the southernmost point in Gaza on the border with Egypt. Elsewhere in the city, dozens were killed, according to Western media organizations and Palestinian authorities, when Israeli warplanes struck these homes. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Friday he believes hundreds of Hamas fighters are in Rafah and he wants them destroyed. But before launching that assault, he has ordered the Israeli military to evacuate the civilians. But there is nowhere else to go in Gaza that is not subject to Israeli bombardment. And this is uh, very dangerous if there will be a military uh, operation in Rafah. This will separate and will increase the suffering of the uh, already existing dire humanitarian conditions there. Diplomats from Canada, Germany, Saudi Arabia, Jordan and Egypt all expressed alarm about Netanyahu's plans. 
In the meantime, medicine and food are increasingly in short supply. There is a catastrophic level of hunger and starvation and the spread of diseases and lack of a clear water. In the north of Gaza, Israeli military took journalists on a tour of a vast tunnel system underneath the headquarters of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, also known as UNRWA. These, this place is the, the Hama, one of the Hamas's intelligence units where they command most of the combat from here, but from the underground. Some of UNRWA's employees were accused of assisting Hamas during the October attacks on Israel, which prompted Canada, the U.S., and other donors to suspend funding for the agency. Israeli military said the tunnel complex is new evidence of how Hamas exploited the U.N. relief agency. UNRWA, for its part, said it had vacated the headquarters five days after the war began and was unable to confirm or otherwise comment on the tunnel network. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Two people are dead after a small plane crashed in Florida on Friday. The Mabardier 600 jet burst into flames after crashing on Interstate 75. It reportedly lost both engines as it flew from Ohio to Florida. Police believe the pilot and co-pilot both died in the crash. Three people survived and could be seen running from the burning wreckage. They were taken to hospital for treatment. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration and the National Transportation Safety Board are investigating the incident. Nicotine patches and long COVID may seem like a strange pair, but it's a social media trend some say is helping with symptoms. But is there any science behind it? Naomi Bargiel has more. Science has come a long way in understanding COVID-19, but for people with long-haul symptoms, the same can't be said. Without treatments available, some are turning to social media-based remedies for relief. The latest trend is nicotine patches. I understand the motivation, but I would really counsel people to really think long and hard before they, they commit to this going forward. The trend has been popular mainly in the United States, but experts like Dr. Brian Conway say Canadians shouldn't rush to try it. While there is some validity to the research, they say there isn't enough data. It's not surprising that people are seeking alternative treatments, and it's not surprising that those are available. And some of them may well be effective. The, 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 the pathway to establish whether that's the case or not is, is a really, really long one. And that's, that's an unfortunate limitation of, of medicine and of science. Nicotine patches may seem like an odd remedy, but the concept isn't new. Research found potential in nicotine's anti-inflammatory properties back in 2020. The current trend is based on a 2023 study, but Dr. Colin Furness says it's still too small to mean anything. I don't want to be naive about this. It's not a question of slap on a patch and be immune to long COVID. I'm, that's not been established. What we have is some biological plausibility that there could be a relationship. And honestly, this really needs more study. A 2023 Health Canada report found more than 17% of Canadian adults have been experiencing long-term symptoms after contracting COVID. A Lancet report last year estimated that 65 million people are living with long COVID worldwide. The lack of answers has many seeking advice on social media, which Dr. Zahid Butt says not to trust without fact-checking against Health Canada's website. A lot of these uh, social media websites uh, have a lot of misinformation, and some of this is uh, intentional and some of this is uh, unintentional. For now, studies for the long-term use of Paxlovid have been promising, 
but not enough to keep alternative treatment theories from swirling online. Naomi Bargyal, Global News. After the break, Mark's got the forecast, and while it's been relatively mild out, there is a snowfall warning in effect for several parts of the province. We'll tell you where. A snowfall warning has been issued for parts of BC's southern interior. The alert covers the central Okanagan, north Okanagan, and Shuswap and Thompson regions. Environment Canada forecasting 10 to 15 centimetres of snow, which is expected to begin falling around midnight and continue through to Sunday afternoon. The heaviest amounts are expected to come down Sunday morning. Could be tough getting around the interior. Chief Meteorologist Mark Madriga joins us now. And Mark, this is not a drill. That snow is going to fall. Well, thank you very much, Travis. You bet. Snow on the way. In fact, a little bit trickling in tonight to parts of the southern interior and a snowfall warning in effect. It looks like uh, the valleys may get a little rain on Sunday afternoon. I'll show you that in a moment, but certainly some wintry weather, especially for travelers. It's all thanks to this incoming system that, again, is giving rain to the south coast. Kind of a mix of rain and snow, North Shore Mountains, and that snow rolling into the southern interior. Farther back, that's going to go north. It looks like we're going to dry nicely Monday afternoon through Tuesday, Wednesday, in a lot of areas. So uh, we, I think a lot of you will look forward to that. But much needed rain, why not? It's going to be continued rain into tonight and tomorrow for the south coast. There's the timeline in the top right, 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. That rain will be more on than off in the south coast. And you can see the southern interior continuing with that snowfall. And then Monday, sure, some flurries drifting down through the interior, but overall a drying trend starting Monday afternoon. Snowfall warning again, 10 to 15 total centimeters. There'll be snow through the southern interior, but these areas up to 15 centimeters. That includes the North Thompson, Shuswap, North Okanagan, Central Okanagan, and that's for tonight through the uh, Sunday time frame and possibly into Monday morning. Meanwhile, on the south coast, it's rain. That's from uh, this evening right into midnight tonight. You see several millimeters, and I'm just adding to that in my computer model here. So a pretty good soaking, as they say, for uh, tonight through Sunday and even into early Monday for the south coast. Okanagan uh, Connector, Coquihalla, all these areas will have that continued snow into Sunday, uh, easily 5 to 10 centimeters. So for the day on Sunday, here we go. We do have uh, Prince George into some flurries. Well, tonight and tomorrow as well. Williams Lake may get a little mixed rain and snow tomorrow afternoon. And I mentioned the southern interior with that snow. Uh, south coast overall. And again, we are going to continue into uh, really the, uh, the rain tomorrow. And then on Monday, showers first thing, followed by some clearing Monday afternoon. Look at Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I say dry, and it looks like we'll have highs, uh, well, even up to 10 on Tuesday. But cooler mornings, but at least a drying trend. So once again, Sunday looks like a soaker across the south coast. Travis? All right, thanks, Mark. Residents of Langford could decide the future of the city's main soccer stadium. The move comes after Starlight Stadium's main tenant, Pacific FC, did not renew its agreement to use the facility because of its current size. They want to see the facility expanded from 6,000 seats to 10,000. The expansion is expected to cost $4.5 million, and City Council is looking to decide whether to borrow money to pay for it. There's no word on when the referendum is expected to take place. All right, Barry's here now. Have you been to that stadium? I've not been there, but I do Me know either. one thing. Renos are always expensive. <laughs> yeah, 4.5 million is probably going to be more like 6 million. A bit much, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, what do you got coming up? Well, uh, I mean, the Canucks have been so great this year. I guess we could say, I don't want to say they're in a slump, but maybe just a, a bit of a wobble. Uh, but they've been so good all year. Of course, they come off that uh, stinker in Boston, played much better against Detroit, but kind of uncharacteristically blew a third-period lead, really, for the first time uh, this season. We have lots of highlights of that. We'll hear from uh, Rick Tockett and Nick Taylor right in the thick of things, looking to win another golf tournament, this time in Phoenix. So that's all coming up. Sounds good. We'll catch up with you in a bit. Thanks, Barry. Still ahead, is an EV right for you? While many drivers have opted for electric vehicles, others question their performance and viability. We'll hear from the experts on some of the big EV questions. Many prospective car owners, the decision to buy an electric vehicle is a tricky one. Not only are the questions about how well they do in harsh winters, but as more people get them, the reliability of our power grid comes into question. Global's investigative climate journalist, Kamyar Razavi, explores some of the big questions around electric vehicles. To EV or not to EV, that is the question. Data shows some consumers are wary of the price and the effectiveness of the models. One minute they're hot. The Canadian government's trying to boost interest in electric vehicles to meet their goals. The next minute they're not. It is a big shift and some are concerned about affordability and a shortage of electricity. Now there's a lot of information and misinformation floating around electric vehicles. So what are we to make of it? One big question mark. Will EVs overburden the grid? There were fears of this happening in Alberta this past winter. But experts say it's not like every car on the road is suddenly going to go electric. There's no world in which we're going to roll out all these electric vehicles and not upgrade the grid between now and 2050. A doubling of peak capacity is still only a few percent addition per year. But we have to plan. The other big question, charging and range anxiety. Charging stations are popping up all over the country. Still, nobody likes pulling into a charging station only to see that it's not working or having to struggle with how to use an app. But that too is changing. We're also moving towards uh, more standardization in terms of payment options where you're just able to use your credit card. You don't need to have, you know, specific apps. The charging experience is going to keep getting better year after year. Some individual businesses are also promoting their EV charging bona fides. Kendra Imri owns a guest ranch in a rural corner of eastern Manitoba, more than 140 kilometers away from Winnipeg. She's making it easier for clients to relax and recharge. It was pretty slow on the uptake for the first year, uh, but we found this past summer, I'm not sure if it was post-pandemic, folks are driving across the country again, but uh, there was quite a bit more uptake. Now, there's no doubt there are challenges, including battery engineering and repair. If a dealer or auto shop is not familiar with how to fix a battery, it might result in a pricey replacement, for instance. But experts say the battery technology, including service and repair, is fast improving, meaning that the EV experience of today is not going to be like the EV experience of tomorrow. Kamiya Razavi, Global News. Just one more sleep until one of the biggest events in pro sports. The Super Bowl is almost here, but today the Canucks were in action. A morning matchup against the Red Wings. Barry's got the highlights after the break. All right, Barry's back now. I got to tell you, I really like these, these morning games the Canucks play. Works for my schedule. Uh, yeah, for some people, I guess. I did. Actually, I had some coffee this morning with the yeah. Why Not. Beats uh, having to wait up all night, doesn't it? All right, thanks, Travis. Uh, well, coming off their worst effort of the season in Boston the other night, we expected the Canucks would respond the right way today in Detroit, and they did. 
sort of. Canucks were in full control, leading after two periods, 3-1, to one, but could not hold it and ended up losing 4-3 in overtime on a somewhat controversial penalty shot call. Bottom line, Canucks have lost back-to-back -back games for the first time since November 16th and 18th, which is 12 weeks, so I suppose they were due. Phil DiGiuseppe out since the beginning of the new year, playing his first game of 2024. Sam Lafferty, a healthy scratch, uh, like in Boston, not a good start. Opening goal in the opening minute. Lucas Raymond around Tyler Myers, stuffs it past Casey DeSmith. But uh, Canucks settled down, actually played pretty well after that, but one nothing after one. Second period. Canucks tie it. Former Red Wing Philip Ronick with the slap pass. Perfectly tipped in by Nils Hoaglander. Boy, he's having a nice year. 15th goal ties it at one. Then Nikita Zadorov with the high hit on Lucas Raymond. Wasn't intentional, but head contact. Raymond was down to a few minutes. Zadorov got a five-minute match for head contact. And this just in, he's been suspended two games by the NHL. So no Zadorov for the rest of the road trip. But the Canucks penalty kill was stellar. Noah Juleson intercepts the Kane pass. All the Canuck killers did a great job. Detroit really didn't have a good chance. At the end of it, though, Roenick trying to bat the puck ends up hitting Dylan Larkin in the face. Another penalty. So they were down a man or down two men for 10 seconds. But they killed that one as well. And when Hironik was coming out of the penalty box, he is sprung on a breakaway, and he's a defenseman, but this is a pretty good move by Phil Ronick, just his fourth of the year, and the Canucks have their first lead 2-1, and they weren't done yet. Buzzing the wing zone again, Hoaglander with the shot wide, but Elias Pettersson scores on the rebound. Pettersson and Hironik both with three-point games, and the Canucks led 3-1 after two. They'd yet to lose when leading after two until today. It starts with another penalty. Hoaglander sticking out the leg, Rick Tockett, bad feeling about that one. Sure enough, Detroit capitalizes very late in the power play. Daniel Sprong all alone in front, slips at five hole onto Smith, who didn't like that one going in. Three to two, wings kept coming. Surrey's Michael Rasmussen behind the net, starts the play, goes to the net, redirects the Jake Wallman shot, nice tip. Under the crossbar, you can see the net bulge. 3-3, we require overtime. In OT, Canucks get caught deep. Jake Wallman on a breakaway. Quinn Hughes with a little shot from the back. Is that worthy of a penalty shot? A little weak, I think. But Wallman, he's a defenseman, but also he's got a great move, and he's got a great celebration, too. It's the gritty that he celebrates with. Head-shaking loss for the Canucks. They blow a two-goal lead and fall 4-3 to Detroit. I thought we were in control of the game. A couple of turnovers, um, yeah, in our net. So we got, we got to learn. With the pressure, it's going to start hitting even more. you got to lock these games down. And I thought there was a couple of turnovers when we shouldn't have to have turnovers. Got to get the puck in deep. We let one, a point slip away. Um, but that, you know, that's a, I hate to use the word, learning lesson, but yeah. And Canucks have another morning start tomorrow here on the coast. 10.30 puck drop in Washington against the Capitals as they get the game in before the Super Bowl, which kicks off at 3.30 our time. More hockey, Flames and Islanders. Calgary 2-0 since getting Andre Kuzmenko, who has scored in both games as a Flame. First period, Mackenzie Wieger with the solo dash. Rips the wrister past Semyon Varlamov. It's 1-0 Flames. Second period, 
Kuzmenko in front of a net on a Flames power play. Can't jam it in, but Jonathan Huberto does. He's had pretty good chemistry with Kuzmenko, who is, uh, and uh, Huberto playing much better. They certainly need him. It's 2-0, and then league, uh, later it's Uyghur one more time from the ladies' tees. Uyghur would score his hat-trick goal into an empty net. Flames have won four in a row overall, just a point out of the final playoff spot. They beat the Islanders 5-2. And Penguins and Jets. Winnipeg has uh, been in a slump. They've lost five in a row, but they uh, get the jump in this one. Nick Ehlers, beautiful pass to Mark Scheifele, who hammers the one-timer past Surrey's Tristan Jari. One-nothing Jets on Scheifele's 15th. And then former Canuck Nate Schmidt from the point. His shot stopped, but Nino Niederreiter cashes the rebound. That turned out to be the winning goal as the Jets hang on to win 2-1. Weather has been the story at this week's uh, WM Phoenix Open. It's been very undesert-like. Lots of rain and freezing cold. Temperatures barely into the double digits Celsius. Usually it's low to mid-20s at this time of year in Phoenix. But it does not hurt Abbotsford's Nick Taylor. He shot that course record 11 under 60 in round one. And he's right in the thick of things in the third round, which only got about half completed today as they try to catch up with all the weather delays. Finally, some nice weather today in Phoenix. Phoenix, mostly sunny, much better beer drinking weather for that rowdy crowd at 16. Finished round two up this morning. Surrey's Adam Svensson, second shot on the short par four. That's for Eagle. Lips out. Had that gone in, he would have made the cut, but he ends up missing by one. Adam Hadwin also missed the cut. But Canadian hopes with Nick Taylor, who started the third round, just one off the lead, but a brilliant chip shot here on the par five third. Gets it to four feet, but there's some tricky putts on this course, and uh, Nick finds that out the hard way. Yeah, you figure you make that one, but he missed it, so stays at 12 under, but he still had the lead. And, but on the fifth, after a fantastic shot out of the rough just to get to the green, Taylor from long distance from 48 feet. He's at 13 under, leading by one. They got just six holes in before darkness. They'll play the rest of round three and all of round four tomorrow in Phoenix. Nick sleeping on a one-shot lead as he goes for his fourth ever PGA Tour victory. This World Cup ski cross from Georgia. That's a European Georgia, not USA Georgia. Whistler's Marielle Thompson continuing her dominance over the field. She and her Canadian teammate Brittany Phelan in the women's final. And just like last weekend, Thompson jumped out to the early lead and never looked back. She won last weekend, won the week before, so make it a hat trick for her. BC's very own Mariel Thompson. Second went to Phelan. 28th World Cup victory for Thompson in her fantastic career. And she leads the overall World Cup standings. English Premiership today. Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool home to Burnley. Second half tied at one. Luis Diaz with I'll call the crouching header. Goes way down and gets this one to head it in, 2-1 Liverpool, and then Liverpool will put this one away in the 77th minute. Darwin Nunez gets on the end of this cross. Liverpool take it 3-1, and uh, they remain on top of the standings with 54 points. Now, earlier, Manchester City taking on Everton. It's been a while since Erling Holland has scored. He's missed a lot of time with a foot injury, but the big Norwegian gets his first goal in 77 days, blasting it home to make it 1-0 Manchester City, and now that he's got one, the confidence is back. Beautiful pass here by Kevin De Bruyne. Holland with the speed and the strength fights off the defender and then finishes beautifully. Man City win it 2-0. They are second, two points behind Liverpool, but they do have a game in hand, so it should be a great battle to the end of the Premiership season.
that's it for sports. Were you expecting a Zadorov suspension? I thought maybe since it was so early in the game, he had two periods off pretty much, and um, player he hit also came back, so it wasn't a serious injury, but he is a big guy, and uh, he has had a few of these in the past, so two games, but uh, Canucks have the depth to take care of it. Should be okay. I think so. All right. Okay, thanks, Barry. Well, as the world becomes more digital every day, a tiny BC library is defying the odds and growing. That's coming up after the break. Stay with us. A tiny storefront has become a hot spot for book lovers in Kamloops. The city is reporting a 12% increase in library visits last year, with a 350-square-foot operation in a suburban mall leading the way. We get the story from CFJC News. James Patterson is popular, but I think it's only because he puts a book out every two weeks. Reading's not dead, according to the Thompson Nicola Regional Library System. Visits were up in Kamloops by 12% actually, which amounts to over 20,000 people. There isn't a singular reason for the increase, but the TNRL figures part of it has to do with people transitioning back into pre-pandemic levels of activity. Alongside physical books, the library's other offerings also saw an uptick in use. For this year, it was really interesting to see that our e-book and our e-audiobook uh, numbers were, were up quite a bit this year. Um, about a 15% increase from 2022, actually. So that amounted to 32,000 additional electronic items that were borrowed by patrons. And the newest branch, a 353-square-foot tiny library located in Centre Court of Aberdeen Mall, has become even more popular than they'd hoped it would be. During the week, there's a lot of people, that, like seniors during the week and stuff like that, but uh, in the later part of the afternoon and on Saturdays especially, there's a lot of families, uh, a lot of teens on Saturdays too, so we're getting the whole gamut. Parking and other mall amenities are a big draw for people dropping in to pick up or return a book. So is the new machine for holds, complete with ARFID scanning technology to track which books are picked up. I filled the capacity twice now. There's one day I had to stop checking items in because I couldn't fit anything else in it. So we've ordered another one. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going great guns around here. The tiny library also gives better insight into what sort of demand there is for a full-sized facility in the southwest sector. It is our dream and our hope one day to have a standalone uh, library in this sector. Um, and that's going to be years in the future. The official ribbon cutting of the mall location is set for February 16th. Delana Nishaw, CFJC News. Lansdowne Centre in Richmond is getting a start on the Lunar New Year celebrations. A giant Lego dragon marks the year of the dragon. Traditional lion and dragon dances took place throughout the shopping centre. Those celebrating say it's important to celebrate together and they're hopeful for the year ahead. In today's age of technology and cell phones, the art form of dragon and lion dancing sort of fallen wayside with some use. So if we're able to bring it out to the community, not always where we are practicing, it's just a joy to be able to um, express our culture to all races, all ethnicities, to everybody. Lunar New Year celebrations continue tomorrow with the 50th Spring Festival Parade in Vancouver's Chinatown. Well, the Super Bowl is tomorrow, and speaking of can't-miss games, one of the cutest of the year is also airing on Sunday. Let the Puppy Bowl begin! 
The 20th annual Puppy Bowl is featuring 131 puppies from 73 shelters and rescues across 36 states. The show not only aims to entertain but encourage pet adoption. The two teams, Fluff and Ruff, take the field tomorrow at 11 a.m. and it's available on TV and online. There you go. I can't imagine anything any cuter tomorrow other than Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift <laughs> sharing a kiss after the game. There you go. There you go. All right, thanks, Barry, <laughs> and thank you for joining us. Good night.